I was asked a few weeks ago to give a talk on being a servant. So open to our First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. Uh, just uh, to introduce a fundamental aspect. First Corinthians chapter six and verse nine, and it says, "What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's." And it says uh, in chapter seven, "Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men." So uh, this talk is uh, about servants or being a servant. Um, And here, I only just realised recently, uh, we've read this passage a lot to to remind everyone that we've been bought with a price, that uh, that Jesus Christ paid that price with his death, and we'll we'll dwell on that later. Um, But the aspect here, it says, like, for ye are bought with a price. Uh, purchased, and and I was thinking on it before, and um, we we're so far removed from this aspect of people being purchased nowadays, but people were only ever purchased as what slaves. Yeah, so you wouldn't buy a person unless you bought them as a slave, uh, like we buy livestock. People used to be bought and traded like livestock. And so it's, it, it adds a, a fair bit of depth to this, that we, we have been bought for a price. Uh, there was a, a price and we've been purchased. Uh, we're no longer our own. Um, our lives belong to someone else. And it's, it can have quite dramatic, uh, I guess, consequences, you know, of this um, you know, even it goes on, our own body is not our own. And I often like to think, well, I didn't make my body, did I? I was born with it and I had to be stuck with it. And I'll do the best I can to look after it, but um, it's not my body. It's someone else's. And, uh, and even, um, like, you glorify in your spirit as well, which is God, our God's. The Holy Spirit's God's it comes from him. And so we, uh, we use it, we look after it as best we can as servants to God because we have been purchased. We are no longer our own. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. First Peter chapter 3. We'll start in verse 20. Which sometime were when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities, and powers being made subject unto him. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, 
arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So not our own will, but the will of God, because we're being purchased with a price. But, um, and I be- the wording there uh, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, for as much then, it kind of lends it as if it flows on nicely from that bit about uh, Noah and the flood and, um, and so forth. So that's why I read it, of course. But what I want to bring out here in the brackets in uh, verse 21 It says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And so we've all been baptised and we look forward to more people being baptised, that that indeed we understand that we still drag this filth of the flesh through this life here on earth, uh, as it will be with everyone. But uh, there's the answer of a good conscience toward God. So when we were baptised, we had a good conscience toward God and did it because he asked us to do it. So the aspect there is we did it then. So why is it that we, further down the track, we decide to do things our own way and we follow the things of the flesh instead of of the spirit? So the idea is for us to have a continual good conscience toward God to do his own will and not our, our will. We did it when we were baptised. God said, do it. Jesus did it. Okay, I'll do it. And it's that attitude that we try to encourage in people. It's like, okay, what have I got to lose? What's the worst that can happen is you get wet. Well, the best that can happen is that, hey, you get your sins forgiven. And, um, and so that attitude is like, yeah, no worries. I'll do it because God asked me to do it. In a way, we should continue with that attitude. Ah, I've been bought with a price. God asked me to do it. I'll do it. See what happens. And in testimony, it just, uh, you know, incredible things happening in people's lives. And to get the victory over that, God first. Bidding, ah, God asked me to do it, I'll do it. Uh, too often we complicate it, don't we? So we will go to Acts chapter 2. Again, in this line of um, the answer of a good conscience toward God. And So Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And we know it well, and a very good reason we know it well. So even when we speak to people that have never heard of the gospel, we hone in on these verses. So Acts chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then uh, we'll go down to uh, verse 12. And the people watching, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, excuse me, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. So they see this incredible thing. People are confused. I don't know what's going on. They must be drunk. They're trying to bring some understanding on this thing. And uh, they must be drunk. I don't know. It's very confusing. And as we know, Peter stood up full of the Holy Ghost, inspired by the Holy Ghost, and was able to explain it. 
Um, We won't read it all, but we'll read toward the end in verse 36. Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what should we do? What a response. It's like, oh, yes, he's right. We're in the crowd saying, crucify Jesus. Ye have crucified this man. Ah, what do we do? Okay, I want to be a servant of the living God. What do I do? Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So in the same way, it's like, what do I do to be right with God? That attitude, that good conscience toward God, uh, being a servant to his will, following his commandments, and we put that into practice and we saw a result. But this here was a good response by the general public. Uh, you can read down further, 3,000 people were baptised. And, uh, and so they were told, this Jesus Christ whom ye crucified, and in all humility, they said, well, what do we do? And 3,000 got baptised. Go to uh, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. Peter had a habit of doing this, didn't he? Whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Similar aspects as uh, what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. Now when they, this is the council, uh, religious people, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marvelled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. So the reason I followed on, I'm hoping you understand, is a completely different reaction. Uh, The people in Acts chapter 2, Peter said, you whom you crucified, oh, what do I do? Here, whom ye crucified, nah, we'll beat them up so they stop spreading the word. Completely different reaction. Which one was serving God and which one was serving the flesh? Which one had a good conscience toward God and yet built up their own ideas and the way they wanted to do it? Um, And which one had the better result? Um, Go to chapter 7, another example, a story of um, Stephen Stoning which is, and his 
what he said to them. Very uh, powerful words. But uh, Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, it says, Stephen says this to the others, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, like the council did in uh, chapter 4. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. A different reaction. These prophets who spoke on behalf of God, warning God's people uh, of what they should be doing to follow his ways. He, God was hoping they would have had the answer of a good conscience toward God. And even now when uh, Stephen is saying these things, their reaction is, no, no, I'm doing it my way. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And Saul uh, ended up being converted and amazing. So this reaction to um, God's instructions was not the right reaction. Uh, we'd rather have that, uh, that attitude that was in chapter 2. And we had that to start off with. That's why we got on our knees and prayed for the Holy Spirit. And the Lord answered and we spoke in tongues. Let us continue to have that attitude of a servant as we lead through our lives. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. First Samuel 15 and verse 22. And Samuel said, this is to uh, King Saul, um, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You know, uh, very strong words there. And, uh, we know uh, that those words as well, that uh, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken unto his word than the, the fat of rams. You know, uh, we can, people can um, do so many things and... Uh, uh, like give up so many things in the in in um, in their own strength because they think it's for God, but um, God would rather we obeyed Him, and uh, we we've got a book here that gives us His commandments, um, and as servants, servants always have to follow the commandments of their master. Um, Otherwise, there's a consequence. So we have this book here. We've got uh, the Spirit in us to help us read these commandments. God would rather us obey what's here 
than coming up with our own ideas. I'm going to do this for the Lord. You know? Um, and uh, I've said before that sometimes we can twist things around. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it for the Lord. And I've been caught out as well. I mean, you know, I've been here for uh, quite a few years now. Um, 17 years in Bunbury now. So you've seen me do things in my own strength. Yep, I'm going to do this. This must be of the Lord, but it wasn't. Um, and uh, so he just wants obedience um, as a servant to a master. But then these words like rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. What's witchcraft? It's like um, potions and you're just delving into other spiritual stuff and uh, uh, magic and all these things, um, uh, like deception as well. You know, that's what rebellion is. And being stubborn, like, nope, I'm not going to listen to God's commandments. I'm going to do it my way. It's like idolatry. You're worshipping idols there. Uh, this is what it's, it's, the analogy is. But God's encouraging us to continue to be his servants um, because we will get a good result. And that was so good to hear the, the testimonies today, all three of them. You get good results if you're his servant and not your own. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So false prophets, what are they? They're, they're people who, who claim to speak on behalf of God. Because that's what a prophet is. They speak on behalf of God. And, uh, and so a false prophet is someone who claims to speak on behalf of God. But really, they're not. They're in, in there to, uh, to uh, break things up and, uh, and mislead. Verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Right? So it's impossible for a good free tree to bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Same thing. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that goeth doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, it's an active thing. It's, a, it's an adjective. Uh, just like... Um, you know, if you, if you love him, you will follow his commandments. It's a doing word. Uh, love is a doing word. Just uh, we hear the sayings and we go and do them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, floods came, winds blew, 
and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Great little um, uh, parables here uh, that uh, Jesus Christ is our rock. Uh, we've got the word. You know, it says that uh, Jesus was the word that became flesh, so we can read the word, uh, uh, follow his sayings instead of reading them and uh, going off and doing your own thing, but uh, reading them and like, oh, how do I put this into practice? How do I do this? Um, how do I be a servant of the living God, of my true master? It says in uh, chapter 6, you cannot serve two masters. So uh, choose your true master who wants good things for us. Because this is the other thing, is the, the word slavery is, I mean, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing. Um, to, the whole aspect of slavery is abominable. And you look through history, the horrible things that have been done to people. But uh, the true servant of the living God is this servant to his master, but our master wants the best for us. It's a good thing to be a servant to him. Um, and, uh, and then our house will stand. The floods will come. There'll be all sorts of things that'll happen in our lives as, uh, as we uh, do his work, but it'll stay put. And that's what we want. We want to be strong and stay uh, still there. Our house is in order. And we see great blessings. And, uh, and also what happens is, you know, it started out about the, the false prophets. You can start looking for the fruit to see if it is of God or not of God, trying the spirits, all those things. Uh, so you can find out whether it's a, a false prophet or a true prophet of God. And uh, praise the Lord that here in the Revival Fellowship, we have systems in place that help us. And even I've seen, um, like the Lord helps us. I've seen people just come by closely. I'm like, whoa, the Lord saved this little flock. Uh, I remember once, uh, I don't know why I did it, but someone just rocked up who wasn't meant to rock up. I'd already spoken to him about that. But he rocked up and we're having a chat. And then for some reason, we ended up walking out to his car. I didn't even have intention of walking, like telling him to go away, but we're walking out to the car. The Lord was protecting this little flock here from someone who wasn't meant to be here. Um, he, he, the Lord was on our side. He cares for us so much. He's got a vested interest. And, uh, and it's just so wonderful that, uh, that uh, we can rely on him for that uh, instead of worrying. Um, and then... It says in Luke chapter 6, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? So let us, let us say, call him Lord, Lord, which is good. We call him Lord, Lord. He's our Lord and Saviour. And let us do things that he says. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 1. Revelation chapter 2. And verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that beholdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, I know what you do, and thy labour, I can see that, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, or even say that they are prophets, and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne, or persevered, and has patience, and for my name's sake has laboured, and has not fainted, or become weary, you know, weary not and well doing. 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And we'll just stop there. So this here, this aspect of uh, people uh, following the things of the Lord, the works, the labour, the patience, you know, and even the discernment, the judgment is in line with the, uh, the Lord's. And then things are going well and then there's a, there might be a, a tendency for some to kind of think, oh, yeah, I'm getting a bit weary, as it says there. You know, uh, kind of losing patience for the Lord's return. Uh, or looking inwardly instead of looking outwardly, seeing problems and division instead of looking outwardly and seeing, like, spreading the gospel and seeing unity and a great thing, a family, all these things. Um, and then leaving the first love. Okay? And, but what's wonderful is God says, well, look, verse 5, remember, remember your first love. You know, it's not, it's never all lost. You know, open your eyes, stand up, uh, open your ears, remember your first love. Um, go back and, uh, and think about what the Lord's done and uh, de- be determined to build your house on the rock. Be, be determined to, uh, to do things for the Lord. Follow his commandments. Um, and there are many, there are many even in the New Testament commandments there. On Wednesday I spoke a bit about that as well. So that then, when he returns, that, uh, that indeed our candlestick will be remained in its place. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. That's the thing, this aspect of servant is also wrapped up in you know, your first love. Have it, that desire, a good thing, the child of the living God. You know, um, there are aspects like that. The church is like the bride and we are all like his children and yet servants. And there's love there as well, a desire to, uh, to be his servant. Um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. They've been witnesses of these things, these powerful things. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Okay? Um, and this is what we need to be reminded reminded about is um, by our own works, our own things that we do for ourselves, we're not made perfect. It's God who gives us perfection. And so uh, Paul here is trying to encourage the Galatians, well, look, go back to uh, that powerful moment when you received the Spirit through humility and calling unto God. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit through doing all these things uh, that you thought were for God. It was God who gave it to you. God um, gives wonderful things to us, sets us free. See, that's the other thing. Funny. You know, we're servants and yet we're free (laughs) because our our master is God and not the world. 
Uh, so it's a bizarre like contradiction, it seems. But it's true. In the kingdom of God, he makes it possible. And we understand that. And it's tr- through the power of the Holy Spirit, through being uh, subject unto God himself, Jesus Christ, that, uh, that indeed we can uh, be made perfect that way, not our own works. And that's actually a relief. Praise the Lord for that. We don't need to struggle. We don't need to work hard. Uh, we don't need to, uh, to think of new things that we must do. We just need to be humble. But I suppose really it can be difficult when uh, the Lord asks us to seek him first, but, oh, no, that's not going to work. No, I can't see that working. I think I have to do this. That's when it can be difficult uh, for us to switch off and say, nope, wait a minute, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. That's faith. And that's why it's so good to pray. Uh, well, pray every day, of course, but uh, putting in that extra prayer yesterday, fasting, building up the faith, knowing that if we put him first and we serve him, instead of thinking, nah, there's no way that can work. How can that work? You know, all I'm doing is praying to the Lord, uh, going to meetings, outreaching, uh, reading the word. How's that going to create something that's tangible here? Well, it turns out that's experience and, uh, and it works. But then it's also the faith and obedience to God. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I really like this puts things into perspective for us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's uh, an interesting thing, your mind being renewed, a new mindset. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We'll be evidence here on earth of uh, the perfect will of God. And that's our testimony, evidence. People stand here giving their testimony. Oh, all I could do was put the Lord first. It's proof. The perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, sober thinking. It's like, ah, it's all about the Lord. Ah, it's the Lord done that. ah, uh, The glory is certainly not to me. But, um... Verse 1, it says, says, this is your reasonable service. And, and I like that as well. That's comforting. It means as being servants to God, God sees that as being reasonable, i.e. it is not unreasonable. You know, we, um, we work because we have to, and uh, we are servants in a way to our, to our bosses. And sometimes they may ask us to do things that seem a bit unreasonable. Uh, not morally, but uh, like I know in my work, um, the, the principles that I've been taught 
and based on what I see that work in an engineering perspective, I've had bosses asking me to do things that I know aren't going to work. Uh, it was unreasonable, but I did it. Um, went down that path because he asked me to do it. The things that the Lord's asking us to do are not unreasonable. Oh, that's reasonable. I'll do that. Answer of a good conscience toward God, fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll do that thing. Uh, he's asked me to, uh, to follow his ways and, and it's quite reasonable. It's not too much. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And verse 6. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to, the, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. There's always a consequence of us doing things for the Lord. We draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to us. It's never in vain. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, like humbled, allowing yourself to be humbled and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, like a realisation that, hey, I need the Lord. I need to, I suppose in the words of uh, Revelation, need to uh, turn back to him and go back to, um, as it says in Galatians, the first, oh, sorry, in Revelation, the first love. Go back to that first love and your joy to heaviness. Sorry, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. So again, a consequence. So you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to us. If we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he'll lift us up, not ourselves. And, uh, and lift us up in ways that we wouldn't even comprehend, with solutions, real solutions. Um, it also says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know, very encouraging. He will exalt us in due time. Jeremiah 31. Wonderful prophecy. But I wanted to kind of bring out another aspect in line with some of the scriptures we've been reading thus far. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. That's Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Behold... The days come, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbour, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, Say, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. 
So that's amazing prophecy we understand now. Uh, Jeremiah may not have even fully understood how this was going to happen. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, uh, it, it gives us this understanding as we read the word as well. That desire to delve into these things puts the law into our inward parts. The law, i.e. the will of God. And this here is in us. We have this in us. We are the embodiment of this prophecy today. So let us continue to draw upon the law that's in our inward parts. It says here that... um, uh, he'll be our God and he, we shall be his people uh, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbour and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them. We know him, know his ways, know his will. So let us continue to remember that we know it, <laughs> okay, instead of thinking of other things that we think might be better. And we're all subject to it. As I've said, we drag this flesh through this life. We have wax and wane in strength. Sometimes, yep, we're switched on. Other times, whoop, things are going on and we're kind of drawing on the flesh a bit. It's just our life. It's the way we are. So here today, encouraging us to remember we're servants to a great master, uh, a, uh, a benevolent master, and that he has put a knowledge in us. So let us not crush it or cover it or hide it. We've got a great thing in us already. Okay, penultimate scripture, Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8. It's Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a wise, a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So let us be wise. It says in uh, James as well, let us have that wisdom that comes from above, not from the earth. So if we are truly wise, Okay, and the Lord is trying to give us instruction. So put us there in verse 9. You know, give instruction to the wise, give instruction to us that have wisdom from God. We will yet get wiser, a just man, righteous before the living God, and will increase in learning and understanding. And then even verse 8, you know, rebuke a wise man. The Lord rebukes the people that he loves. As it says, we are his children. He loves us. He wants to train us. So rebuke a wise man. Rebuke us. And then we will love him more. Love God more. And even the the mouthpiece that is uh, used by God uh, to, uh, to, um, to impart that. So we want to grow in understanding. That's a good thing. We want to grow in wisdom. Uh, a learning about God. A closeness about God. And that's what I brought out on uh, Wednesday is so often um, we choose things that uh, diminish our relationship with God. We could have a greater relationship with God by doing these things, but uh, we diminish it 
by our choices. But the Lord wants us to have a close relationship, which is probably the best consequence of putting him first. Because then you put things into perspective of what's going on in our life. Oh, that's tiny. I've got a great relationship with the Lord. It's fantastic. Rejoicing in the Lord. Finish up John chapter 15. John 15, verse 7. John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, so you remember them, dwell on them, think about them, try to put them into practice, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And that's an aspect, I believe, we, we, we don't fully understand um, until the end of the matter. All things work together for good. We, there's a scripture, and uh, the end of the matter is better than the beginning. But it's the joy, you know, um, that uh, our joy is full. The Lord wants our joy to be full. Um, and joy is a good thing. God just wants good things for us. Abide in his love. Uh, keep his commandments. Abide with him. Being humble toward him. Being a servant toward him as a master. And yet knowing, as Jesus knew, that we are worthy uh, of being his children. That our joy may be full. And, uh, and even that word, it's only three letters, but even that embodies so much. You know, like, like I said, peace, comfort, contentment. You know, when there's joy, you have those things because you're putting the Lord first and you've got a close relationship with him, being servants to him. Okay, thank you.